Hello and welcome back to the Get Stuck In podcast. I'm Sam. I'm here with Max. Uh, this is the third episode of sort of the new format. Um, we've got our first guests on this. We've got two guests uh, on this week's show to get the ball rolling, and then it probably will normally be just be the one guest. Um, and there will be the debate at the end of the show, which will get polled online normally. But um, given there's two guests this week, we didn't want to make it too long for everyone. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit of intro from me and Max, some chat about the week just gone. And then we'll cut to the interview, which we actually, are, <clears throat> Max couldn't be available for that. So I've recorded that separately yesterday on Sunday. And then so today, Monday, the day this gets uh, uploaded, me and Max doing a quick intro, talking about the news. And there is quite a bit of news if we just jump right into it. Today, big news has dropped. About midday, I think it was, reports came out saying Lampard was going to get sacked as Chelsea manager. And then, of course, Roman Abramovich has confirmed it. What are your immediate thoughts on on the news? I, I suppose I suppose I shouldn't be shocked because it's Chelsea, but I am. Just because it's Lampard, I did think I thought I didn't think they'd sack him so soon. I did think he was a goner, but I thought I, I can see the logic behind it at the moment because obviously there was a slight break with the FA Cup, so, um, and then I think they've got three relatively easy fixtures coming up. Well, relatively easy anyway. Um, but I feel a bit bad for him, to be honest. Um, you see other managers in similar boats. We obviously talked about Oli, Arteta. Uh, both have gone through really, really rough patches, like multiple times now, especially Oli. Um, and both have turned a corner. They've proved that, it, <laughs> that a bad run does not mean you're a bad manager. Um, and I don't think Lampard was truly given that chance, to be honest. Um, and it proves once again that the Chelsea board and Chelsea ownership want instant, instant results, instant, instant success. We've seen it with Di Matteo. We've seen it with uh, Ancelotti after winning the double. They sacked him in the, um, in the <laughs> after the game, didn't they? Uh, in the tunnel. Uh, it's just another example of it. And I did think Lampard will get a bit more time with his. Um, this status around the club that wasn't to be, obviously. And now Tuchel looks like he's coming in, who's about as far as, he, as they come. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I think um, I think I did see, I think that's what Gary Licker tweeting, sort of criticising the decision. But I think it is difficult when you look at their record to slag it off. I think, uh, not to say that like it, Lampard was never going to turn it around, but their model is probably one of the most successful models, or at least has been, in English football. But at the same time, like there's teams like Watford where it isn't necessarily as effective. But um, I guess it's hard to critique it, especially from Abramovich's point of view, when it has been so successful. But um, I don't know. It, it just I think from minute one, and even during the first season when it went relatively well and they got top four and they bedded in all the youngsters it just always felt a little bit too soon for him it just felt like he needed to maybe do what Gerard's doing getting experience at a not obviously a, a sort of lower level club but it's still a successful team as well um, which would obviously just get him used to it if he ever did make that step up to Liverpool hopefully um, but yeah I just it's a shame because he's potentially kind of ruined any potential to have his peak there? I think he'll be back. I think he'll manage him. Yeah, 100%. He's too young a manager, I think. We said, Kenny Dalglish did it. Yeah. 
as in the nineties and maybe, and then twenty years down the line redid it. Um, so I think they will rehire him at some point if you, if the opportunity opportunity arises mm. um, and you don't see someone else like John Terry become really successful. Mm. I think he'll manage Chelsea at some point. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's an odd one, but it's not an odd one. I think in my book, just seeing him go so soon is obviously straight from the Chelsea book. Um, yeah, but it's. I, I didn't think they. I didn't think they'd do it to Lampard. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm being too sentimental about it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, if 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 they're gonna do it to him, who wants know. to take that job now? It's like... yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, I just think it's interesting now. Like for in terms of his career, obviously, I'm I'm sure he will get a new job in management. I think he definitely showed signs that there is a quality manager in there, but. At the same time, he surely must have been thinking sort of that's the end goal. At least when he first got into management, like Chelsea is the one. That's where I want to end up. And I think they actually said when he came in that some of the board were a bit hesitant, but it was almost needed with the transfer ban, etc. And it is, it's a shame that he didn't get the time he, he was needed. And I mean, props to him for accepting the call when he could have said, no, I need time. I need to work on it. He he took on that job, which he knew was a tough job. Um, I, I hope he goes back. I'm not sure I'm as confident as you are that he will. I almost feel like they'll sort of move away from that now. But yeah, I don't know. I it, it, I just think it feels a shame because it just seemed destined that that would be where he was. I think I think he would have got to the end. I think he would have got to the end of the season if they weren't looking like if they were still looking like top four contenders, and that, that's the yeah. thing they're not at the moment. And I think the Chelsea board especially in a period where financial insecurity is a major factor in all the big mm. clubs across Europe. To miss out on Champions League for next season, I think would be massive. They, I think they're desperate to get top four. Yeah, they were I expected think... to get top four. They were expected to be, it was meant to be City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United were mm. the most likely four coming into the year, in yeah. my opinion. Um, and I think they were... I reckon they just bit the bullet and said we you have to you they have to get top four. Yeah, Otherwise, that's saying they still can because of the because of the way the season's been. It's so congested. Yeah, it's not exactly. it's not anywhere near out the realms of possibility they turn it around. So yeah, uh, it's, it is weird. It's a shock, but it's also completely expected, <laughs> and it's kind of difficult to process because of that. But um, yeah, so but what do you what do you make of uh, Tuchel? Thomas Tuchel. I mean, not that it should mean anything, but I guess my my only experience of previous PSG managers who didn't do great is Unai Emery, which obviously was not what anyone wanted. Um, I mean, I, I don't. I, I I'll admit I haven't followed him too much. I've seen him at Dortmund. I've seen him at PSG, and largely I've heard that he has this potential, but it's never quite managed to materialise. Like you said, I've heard he's a bit of a... I think, I think he would kind of want a lot of control, which isn't something that Chelsea are likely to give you. Um, but, I mean, he, he, he's he been at PSG, he's been at Dortmund. You need to be good to get those jobs. And, I mean, I guess the argument would be maybe he's the one to get the best out of Werner and Havertz, but that may just be a simplistic way of looking at it thinking, oh, he's German, so it's going to work. I don't know. Um, but, I, yeah, if, he, if they can't, if anyone could get them playing whether it's two or not, if anyone could get those two playing. I remember over the um, 
the lockdown period when the Bundesliga came back first. Obviously, we've seen Werner for a couple of years, but I watched a lot of the Leverkusen games and Havertz was kind of playing as a number nine in that time as well. And I know he probably is more of a 10, um, but I do think there is potentially the chance that he could get pushed up or maybe sort of a false nine. Um, but I, I guess that's that's the thing with the team. There's so much potential. There's quite a lot of flexibility as well with Ziyech, Pulisic. They've got uh, a massive squad. Yeah. They've got a massive squad to use. Um, and obviously that was part of Lampard's downfall is the fact that so many new faces came in and they didn't really build on what on last year when they were relying on Mason Mount, Tammy, Abraham. And they're still relying yeah. on this. Um, yeah. heavily, especially Mason Mount, who I think has been Chelsea's best player this season. Um, yeah, Tuchel Tuchel was a bit of a. Obviously, there's been a lot. There's been a lot of talk about his um, how he would fit with the Chelsea ethos, mm. especially in terms of relationships with the board with Abramovich, because obviously Tuchel has been um, reported to be a fiery figure. He fell out with Leonardo at PSG on numerous occasions. Um, but honestly, I could see it going a little bit, if, if the characters are similar, a little bit like Conte's reign. I'm not yeah. saying he would leave, but I think he'd do well for a short, in a, in a short period of tour, two, two, two years, let's say. Yeah. Or three years. And I think it will fit the Chelsea model. Yeah, exactly. In for, does well for two years. Third year doesn't quite work and they move on. Um, yeah. I could see it going like that if it happens, which I imagine yeah. it will. I mean, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Um, I guess we're neutrals now to see if they can, because as much as everyone kind of revels in a player flopping or not living up to it when it's at a different club, it's going to be exciting now to see, because where everyone talks about Havertz Werner, I mean, Ziyech only joined this summer, had a really good start, looked impressive, and then even Pulisic is still never just, like, knuckled down in the team due to injury, so... They're an exciting team if they can get it going. I think Mount as well, obviously, became a bit of a meme at one point as almost sort of Lampard's favourite. But this season especially, I mean, you could argue it last season, but this season especially, he's looked like their best player by some way. So I, I hope for his sake that whoever comes in does use him because he clearly can be so effective. For me now, Mount is, Mason Mount is, um, I, don't know if, I don't think he'll be as good as Lampard, but I think he is the heir apparent to Lampard in terms yeah, of yeah. captain. Um, yeah. And he will be a leader within that team for the next decade. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's Lampard covered. I think Tuchel is pretty much nailed on. Uh, it yeah. hasn't been announced yet, but that will be that will be very interesting. I mean, the season's already crazy, so <laughs> Tuchel in. It's going to be very exciting. Um, so if we move on, obviously there was the FA Cup this week. But before we touch on that, huge, huge result last week. This shocked me completely. My um, flatmate, he's a Liverpool fan, texted me an hour before kickoff talking about the lines up, lineups. And I literally said, I didn't even know there's a game on tonight. Who are you playing? And he said Burnley. And I was like, oh, yeah. That'll be fine. I I'd work, so I had to go to bed early. So I'm, I go to bed. I wake up in the morning, not even thinking about it, and I just see one nil one nil Burnley. I mean, of all the ways that run could go, it's just it's just the Premier League in a nutshell. Sean Dyche sitting in. See, this is the thing. I've seen, I've seen. Um, I think there's been three games. The last three games or three or four. I think Klopp's only lost that three or four games at Anfield since he's been there. Yeah, and. I think amongst 
I think I saw I saw a picture of it yesterday. There's Palace in there, wasn't there? That was the last all, one. I think Allardyce, Pardew, and Dyche have all got one over Klopp. I think Paul I think Paul Clement when he was at Swansea for like a short period did it yeah. as well. Um <laughs> it's just, Kryptonite, isn't it? None, none, none of the top managers managed it, but <laughs> but these oh, sort of twelfth place sides rock up and just nick a result and fair play to I thought Burnley played well. I don't yeah. think they played badly at all. I thought Nick Pope again pulled off a couple of blinding saves. And for me, he should be England's number one for the Euros. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people would lean that way now. But yeah. Pickford can get picked forever now, I think. Does play well for England, Pickford. I will give him that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not to go off on a tangent. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't, again, a bad performance from Liverpool, particularly. Yeah. It just it, They couldn't find a breakthrough again. Um, couldn't put it in the back of the net and then it, it, they just got punished uh, a late mistake from both Fabinho more Fabinho in my opinion made the mistake yeah uh, just judged the fight of the ball completely wrong thinking that it would just it would uh, get to Alisson safely but obviously that wasn't the case and Alisson was forced into a late challenge um, so yeah I mean it's hard to say with the title race how, how it's going to go now because De Bruyne is out for a month and a bit. <laughs> yeah, Vardy's out as well. Everything's going United's way, but I, I, I think City are still favourites. But it, I think we'll see in the next few games yeah. how to cope because they have had a tendency to struggle with that. Because the Bruyne, when they need the um, the lock to be picked, so to speak, um, he's the guy who can do that for them when they're struggling. And if yeah. he's not there, it's going to be interesting because I, I don't know who's going to fill that role, um, especially as Aguero has been in and out of the team as well. But we'll see what happens with City. I think I think Liverpool. I saw they were linked with Socrates today. <laughs> so um, and that no, was on the top, He's a, he's a top the defender. Um, yeah, I, I mean Socrates is. Um, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind him to come in and plug plug a hole. I think he, I think he's. Uh, I saw someone saying if he did go to Syria, which is sort of heavily rumored, he'd probably look very good. He's. I think he's a proper defender, but he's just not great on the ball. He's just not used to being on the ball necessarily. And you, you can obviously get very, uh, sort of clippable videos from players that have that, that in them. But as a defender, by I guess it's, I mean this is the thing people talk about. They talk about Van Dijk not being there. And then they say, oh, yeah, but it's the attack that's faltering at Liverpool as well as the defence. But it's it means the so what Van Dijk does. Yeah. It affects the whole team. It's yeah. not just about Van Dijk defending because yeah. we've done quite well defensively. It means the rest yeah. of the team doesn't function in the same way. It, it has a it has a domino effect. Just like any team. We saw with City last year because Laporte was their best defender. Yeah. He went out. The team fell apart for, for a couple yeah. months, really. Um, yeah, I mean... To go back to Burnley, I thought Burnley played excellent, excellently against Liverpool. Um, they sat with 10 men behind the ball and I have no issue with them doing that. They get the yeah. result. That's what it's about. I don't care if they don't play pretty football. Yeah, You're winning games. You're winning games. It's about winning. Yeah. So, um, Props to them for, for getting it done. Um, and obviously, there was the FA Cup this weekend and they lost again Liverpool, but yeah. I thought they played um, a lot better, to be honest. Um, I didn't really a think... great game. I thought on the balance of play, Liverpool probably just edged it, but I mean, yeah. Bruno's free kick was fantastic. Um, yeah. I did think Alisson, he saw it late, the free kick, but 
um, it was still nonetheless a fantastic shot. Yeah, so. yeah I think I think um, a lot of people with the cup, obviously Klopp's record in the cup isn't that impressive. And I almost think people at the start of this year were thinking, right, you've done the Champions League, you've done the Prem. And I think a lot of people assumed you would just have the Prem secured by now almost. And it was kind of like you could finally have a run at it. But I almost think potentially it could be a good thing for you. You're not in the best form. You can now just fully focus on the Prem and I mean, even securing top four could be important, even if people do think you're out of the title race. Just knuckling me, down. Me, it's Champions sure League or bust now. It's Champions League or bust. Yeah, I, I mean, that, yeah, but that could so easily happen, even with this yeah. dip of form. You're on your day, you can easily be the best team in Europe. So I don't yeah. think it would be, I don't think anyone yeah. would be shocked. If I'd you just did like it. to remind people that it, the only reason Klopp's ever gone out, apart from the final against Sevilla four years mm. ago, the only reason Klopp's ever gone out of European competition at Liverpool is, is through goalkeeper mistakes. Adrian last year <laughs> and Carrius. That is literally the only yeah, that time is, that, is true. that is true. that he has lost yeah. in the Champions League is not through tactical setup or anything to do with that. It's been individual errors from a goalkeeper. His record yeah. is exemplary, even yeah. at Dortmund. Um, it's like Arteta in the FA Cup. Oh, yeah, Arsenal in the FA Cup. I mean, you see it some years. Teams make the teams make the final. You just think don't deserve to be there. Oh, yeah, it happens. It happens every year. Like I thought, I thought Real Madrid a couple of years when they won three straight. I thought they were nowhere near the best team. Oh yeah, no. But they, yeah, they, they, had, they, they had that. Yeah, exactly. He is he's a big game player and he pulls out the bag time and time again. And that is why yeah. they kept winning. Um. So yeah, I, I think that's. I, th- I still think. I think yesterday was quite good. That we actually managed to bag a couple of goals. I mean, um, the thing is, at the end of the day, you're away at Man United. That's yeah. a difficult, difficult game, especially this season. It's almost like people, because you you won it last year in Man City, Man City, everyone. Obviously, I would say Man United are in the underdog role, but they're, they're not a bad underdog. They're an incredible no. team, especially yeah. the way they're playing. So I think it's um, it is like we we sort of mentioned last week. In isolation, a lot of these results aren't that unbelievable, but it's just when you add them all together of Liverpool losing to Burnley and Man United being top of the league. I find it funny with the United squad in that a year ago, it was an awful squad, apparently, across all the media. Virtually nothing has changed now, and now it's an excellent squad. (laughs) No, the players have started playing well, um, and and they've found a system that works. The players were never that bad. (laughs) They were always Players like players like Eric Bailly, he's just been heavily injured throughout his time. Yeah, well. and he's proving that he's a good player. Um, so I think that narrative was slightly misconstrued over a number of years. Yeah, that's just the reactionary nature Scott, of it now, I, isn't I it? Say, I think Scott McTominay has been fantastic. I mean, even Fred, a lot of people are starting to say he's he's an underrated player. So I, it's just one of those things. I mean, if they lose the next three, Pogba's the worst player in England again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just the way it's just the way it works. Um, but yeah, they're definitely a streaky team and right now they're on probably the best streak they've been in in the last few years. It's just a case of whether they can keep it going. I don't think... I think finally now, as much as I try to convince myself they're not in it, I think they're definitely in it now. Um, I would still put Man City ahead of them, just although De Bruyne is a big miss. Um, but yeah, if we sort of leave it there, so that's, that's sort of the introduction done. Like I said, we've got the interview now uh, with Alfie and Milo a Liverpool fan and an Atletico Madrid fan. So a nice little um, a different viewpoint there because we do tend to talk a lot about the top six 
uh, at the moment. But yeah, please do email in, DM us on Twitter if you'd like to come on the show. We want to get as many people as we can on just to get as many viewpoints. And we're going to be trying to contact people in the game, like we said, in the coming weeks to come on. Before we sort of wrap up, I would like to quickly go back to the Burnley game because my mate would kill me if I didn't mention this. Okay. Josh Brownhill came from Bristol City to Burnley. Yeah. My mate was devastated when he left. Yeah. And then he didn't really play at the start, but he's really grown into that team now and he's basically a nailed on starter now. And um, a lot of people now on Twitter are starting to notice him and give him credit. And I just wanted to say that my friend spotted him. He loves him. He's his boy. Um, and I think I think a lot of people get that thing where they slag off Bristol City for letting him go. I just uh, think yeah. they knew he was good. It's not like all the fans went, oh, get rid of him. Yeah. So yeah. Props to Josh Brownhill this week. Well, That's support, from me. support the guy that came from your local club. It's... <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm used to this now. I've got Ollie Watkins, <laughs> Ethan Ampadu, Matt Grimes at Swansea. They're all extra, extra boys. Mate. So Yeah. So, them. um, They're all in the Prem now. Yeah, mate. Extra. Great. They've got a really good academy, don't they? Uh, Ampadu, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, we probably won't film, we probably won't record a conclusion. So this is the last you'll hear from us in this section. Uh, we hope you enjoy the first guests on the show. Um, and like we said, please contact us if you want to come on and we will have a debate back next week. So look out for the poll on Twitter after the episode drops. Give it a like, give it a share. Let us know if you think anything uh, can be improved or, you know, and uh, thanks a lot. All suggestions are welcome. All suggestions are welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we will talk to you next week. So yeah, welcome to the second section of the podcast. Uh, we've got two guests on this week. I'm joined by Alfie and Milo, the first guests on the show. Um, you guys want to just quick introduction, just say who you support. So Alfie, do you want to go first? Yeah, of course. I kind of split myself between two clubs. Um, Liverpool are the go-to, especially in the Premier League, um, but kind of a lifelong Aberdeen fan as well. But since it's a pretty English-centric podcast I'll probably talk more about Liverpool than I do about Aberdeen because um, I doubt you'll know a lot of the references if I do speak about Aberdeen um, but obviously big Scottish national team fan as well yeah my, uh, uh, my, my family are all Irish so I support the Irish national team occasionally when it's not utterly depressing which is very rare um, and also I support Atletico Madrid which I'll explain later but yeah. yeah no it's good I think it I was keen to not have just fans of the big six on every time. So I think it's going to be really interesting to get a Spanish team on. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of why we did this. I just want to hear people's stories that aren't Arsenal because that's kind of all I've ever grown <laughs> up with, basically. Um, yeah, so obviously me and Max went through ours last week. We want to get people on to go through all these, kind of just tell their footballing story using these four questions, but kind of just to share generally how you feel about football and things that stick out to you so we'll jump in with the first question uh, Milo if you want to take this one first what do you what's your first footballing memory whether that be in the ground or just on tv what sticks out to you so uh my, none of my um family are football fans at all um my mum and dad are more into rugby I played rugby when I was younger um so there was never much football on the tv or anything like that I mostly got into football from um friends at school and stuff like that earlier on um when i was younger i didn't particularly care i just kind of heard various things like this mess is pretty good that's more or less it um very surface level um obviously watch some of the world cups probably my first football memories solid football memories are 2010 world cup and um, 
and you know Polly Octopus stuff like that. Less so the football, more so just the kind of surrounding aura. Um, and you know Bruno Martins in the karate kick and Xavi Alonso was it? Yeah. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like very mishmash from an early age. I first started following football properly in the 2013-14 season because um, a lot of my friends were Liverpool fans, and obviously that was a that was the title charge. Um, so my first experience of even though it's fairly neutral, my first experience of following club football was kind of heartbreak. But um, yeah, I think my first, the first kind of strong memory I have is um, Liverpool 5, Arsenal 1, I think. There's, there's a lot of excitement around that. There's a lot of Arsenal fans and Liverpool fans in the northeast of Scotland for some reason. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty wild. So that kind of stuck in my memory. Um, I think that's one of the first ones I remember. But um, in that same season, there was a... That was when I yeah, started following club football because my friends and Atletico Madrid just beating Chelsea in the Champions League semi-final. Um, and obviously the finals aired on kind of terrestrial TV. So and that was the first football game I think I watched start to finish was the uh, Atletico Madrid Champions League final, which of course was heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that strong at that point, but I just really liked, I kind of uh, just... Heard, read, just heard about the, like the underdog story and stuff, and just got really kind of caught up in it. And um, yeah, watched that final and just kind of root for them ever since. So yeah, I don't have any particular connection to Spain or anything. I just had a total clean slate when I was younger to to support any club I want really. So yeah, was so, yeah. that the was that the first Atletico Madrid final with the yeah lady, that was, that the Ramos equaliser? Yeah, yeah. Ramos equaliser, and then um, just yeah, all hell breaking loose in extra time. <laughs> yeah. Sad. Just watching Marcelo just run through. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Atletico, especially in that era, were a lot of people's second team. And yeah. you know, they've, they've sort of slightly dipped. They seem to be on the up again. But um, I think it's quite easy to see where someone, if you did get into football at that time, I think it was sort of Dortmund before that maybe were a lot of people's yeah, yeah. Um, second team. So, yeah, and Alfie, what's, what comes to mind for you as a Liverpool fan? I mean... To be honest, I've got two main ones because one of them is one of them is an actual football memory, and then one of them is just cause of football. So I'm going to start. <laughs> I'm going to start with like literally the earliest one is not being able to see the TV um, from behind the couch at home, and my dad being an absolute stinker of a mood, <laughs> and me me asking him what the score was. I think it was an Aberdeen game, um, and him just turning around and going, "Well, oh, if you can't see what the score is yourself." You really need glasses. I was like an eight-year-old kid, right? So I was fight for me not seeing what the score was. My dad takes me to the optician. Turns out I've got absolutely horrendous eyesight. Like minus four in both eyes from like age eight. Now I'm like 6.5. So yeah, I was spite. I found out I had terrible eyesight. So that was literally my first football memory, but remembering the, fir- the first thing I can actually remember seeing on a football pitch is not live it's on the telly um, it was before me and my dad started going to Aberdeen games and I'm a Liverpool fan now obviously but <laughs> it's weird it's kind of like a fever dream uh, the first player I remember scoring a goal is Andy Johnson for Everton against Liverpool now I had to check when it was because like this is the first time it's really popped into my head since but it was 2006 it must have been around nine and like this was the first player I'd seen put in a 10 out of 10 performance because he got two 
And I thought this man <laughs> was like the upper echelons of football. Like I <laughs> that he was an elite level player because he was playing so well. He's an okay goal scorer, but he's not, he's not really the sort of player that should be your first football memory. So I think I think for about 10 minutes, I was probably an Everton supporter because obviously who doesn't fall in love with Andy Johnson at first sight? Um, then, then I saw I saw the way forward. Switch my allegiances to Liverpool. Um, yeah, plastic fan. Plastic Andy Johnson. <laughs> like, like you say, with um, thinking he was at a different level than he was. I mean, there's so many players down the line. I think when we did the old podcast, we had basically a whole show about how much I loved Michu. And you just think, if you had seen Michu in that season with no other reference. And there's that thing about Giroud and the level of, like, the um, the quality of some of the goals he scored. And if yeah, you made a compilation, you'd just be in shock. So, no, I think that's a, that's a good first memory. It's sort of one I haven't thought about that going into it. Because I went into it with Arsenal as the Invincibles and I was like, okay, we actually are that good. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, you could have... I mean, imagine finding Arsenal now. Some of them, <laughs> you'd think being told that this is a good top six team. But yeah, um, so so those are your first. It'd be interesting to hear what uh, Milo's favourite is. Bearing in mind, sort of, it hasn't been sort of as long a history of being a fan. But um, I'll, I'll go back to Alfie first for this one. What, what's your favourite football memory? There's quite a few to pick from from a Liverpool perspective? Yeah, I think if I'm going at the time, it's it's quite an easy one because I think, you know, obviously with hindsight, you kind of realise things can go wrong and all that. And for me, I think my favourite one in the moment was probably Dejan Lovren's Europa League header against Dortmund. <laughs> yeah. um, because that felt like we had won it. Like that felt like we had won the Europa League at that yeah. point. And we very much didn't. But I wasn't to know that. I wasn't to know that we were going like, to get a European trophy because Alberto Moreno is an inside agent at that stage. Um, so, I mean, I just remember literally running into my garden and doing laps at probably about age 17, which is fairly embarrassing. Um, I, think that's, I think that's probably the most I've shouted at football as well because, like, obviously, like I say, my first real memories were 2006, so I've wouldn't have seen Istanbul if I had seen it, I was too young to remember it. So seeing like one of the fabled Anfield European nights in action was just unreal for me because we've been so bad for all that time. Like I think a lot of Liverpool supporters, especially now, very much you can see why they'd get called glory hunters. But keeping in mind I started supporting them after any reasonable success and pretty much my most significant memories were of Roy Hodgson, Kenny Dalgleish run to, and I guess Brendan Rodgers, that's kind of unfair on him. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that really stands out because it's got the kind of charm that the memories now don't have because we're actually good. Yeah. Whereas back then it was just kind of funny watching a pretty crap team yeah. <laughs> do off these comebacks. <laughs> Yeah, no, nah. and how, how obviously you sort of mentioned that was your favourite, particularly in the time. How how do you think that result did going into the four 0 Obviously, that's sort of the big one. I think Max mentioned that. Do you think moments like that, and obviously prior to that, you'd heard rumours of these Anfield nights going into Barcelona. Do you think you had any real hope, or did you sort of go off that memory, or did you just think it was too big? No, I I, I almost didn't watch it. Me and, me and my family, <laughs> and I were both massive Liverpool supporters, and we're like. 
Now it'd be quite funny if we just watch it and have a few drinks um, because we will get pumped. Um, but obviously it didn't really turn out that way. And I think that's why for me, that one doesn't stand out as much as the Dortmund one because even though it is just a completely better comeback, that one was just bizarre to me. Like yeah. that didn't, uh, that, I couldn't really comprehend what was going on in that one. It didn't really seem real. Whereas the momentum that came with the two fluky goals from our centre-backs in the Dortmund one is just unbeatable in my eyes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Marlon, moving on to you, obviously mentioned the interest um sort of athletic I've had a few few um peaks and troughs in the last few years what, what would you yeah. cite as your favorite football memory yeah since the 2014 season I mean I am fully aware of that I have to take pride in that but it's it is it, when you actually think about it since the 2014 season it's just been sadness <laughs> after sadness for like a minute, to be honest there's quite a lot of bad memories in there for example every time we face Cristiano Ronaldo in the Champions League but um there's, there's actually quite a lot, I have to narrow it down, there's quite a lot that I can kind of think of, even though, like, I'm not super, I'm, I don't think I'm as passionate about football in it kind of in the game as a lot of people who have a lot more reason to be, would be, obviously. Um, I still kind of, some memories that stood out. Um, but, but the first one that came to mind that I always kind of remember is um, uh, in Euro 2016, which is when, uh, last time, uh, Ireland were at a big tournament. And um <laughs> well, set the scene a bit. There's a probably no one remembers. It's the last um, group group stage game, and uh, Ireland are I think bottom of the group or third in the group. And for some reason that season there was like third in the group got through. I can't remember yeah. how it works. Yeah. But, um, but if we came third, we had a chance to go in through. But we were playing Italy, um, so it didn't look that great. So I was listening. We were all actually all the family watching on TV, which is quite rare for football. It's probably why I remember it. And then. Um, I'm, we're watching it on the BBC and I'm listening to it on the radio with Irish commentary, which is just pretty, just a thousand times better because they were so into it. And the, the, the radio commentary was like a minute ahead or well, maybe not a minute. It would only be a few seconds, actually. And what happens in the 80th odd minute, Robbie Brady, the man himself, scores a, a, a leaping header and, and wins the game 1-0. So I stand up and start yelling in the middle of the room, but I'm hit. <laughs> So they're all, what's, what's happened? What's going on? Because they just lumped another ball forward that's probably going nowhere, and then he plants his head on it. So that was that was unbelievable. So obviously the celebration of kind of going through to the last sixteen, which is pretty wild, and then having Antoine Griezmann knock us out kind of was <laughs> a bit of I was kind of okay with that sort of because I didn't really expect anything from Ireland, and I liked my boy at the time. Um, Alfie knows I do not like him anymore, but I, I liked him at the time. Um, so yeah, that's probably one of the one of the most like legitimate and um, passionate moments because obviously I feel like I have a fairly good reason to support Ireland. But um, in terms of Atletico Madrid, there's obviously quite a lot of there's quite a lot of ups and downs. Like you said, there's been some kind of a lot of seasons where we've finished second or third, but we've never really been anywhere near the, the league race. Um, a lot of disappointments in the Champions League, um, <laughs> where the build up to that kind of there'd been some decent rounds and then we met Real Madrid there was like five years in a row we got knocked out by Real Madrid and then um, it just makes this kind of distaste that leaves a bad taste for the whole competition but there was one league game I think it was 2015 the year after we won the league um, and and Niguez had just started to come to the team and he scores an overhead bicycle kick against Real Madrid to, to win the game 4-0 and that was that's probably my my favorite memory of just kind of 
Like, I don't have any real reason to feel such hatred towards Real Madrid other than they're just our rivals and that's how it works. But just, <laughs> just seeing EKCS on his bum, having conceded an overhead kick, which, you know, and then conceding four, it was just, and against like the squad was still pretty dire at that point. There were a lot of kids. I think Raul Garcia scored in that game. He is such a, oh man, he's just a specimen. But um, <laughs> there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of players in that game. And then, like, like uh, Alfie said, it's when, like, when you have, you know, like a 70 million pound Tom Lamar and stuff in the squad, it's it's so much more frustrating than when you have, you know, like Mario Suarez scoring, <laughs> you're like, just some absolute random folk from, from kind of like, you know, should be in 15th in the table and um, scoring against Real Madrid was just kind of fantastic. And like the, I think there was a spell where we kind of beat them a few times in the league in a row. And that was just, a, that was really satisfying. I think, I think that's probably, the, the, the ones that stand out to me. There's a few more of kind of um, that are kind of less dramatic, that are kind of more kind of uh, nail biting. Where there's, I think, like one year in the Champions League where there was uh, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Atletico Madrid just camping out like a giant sponge in their penalty box and just taking about 4,000 crosses. And they all just <laughs> magnetize onto Diego Godin's head. And you're like, oh, I'll celebrate each one. And that's why it's like, to be honest, watching a lot of big games and just watching, you know, opposition fans being like, you're terrible, how have we not scored yet? And it's just like, it's exactly what we want. You played right into our hands. Um, yeah, that's just fantastic, but it is a lot more nerve wracking. <laughs> so I don't know if I would call it as enjoyable as battering your rivals 4-0. So, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, Saul. I remember. I don't know if you if you listened to the, the first one, but I my favourite moment was the Messi goal against Neuer, where he oh, takes yeah. it past Boateng. But I don't know how close it would have been to beating that. But the Saul goal, I think it's against Bayern as well. Yeah, against Bayern. Yeah. That in terms of just maybe the quality of the goal, yeah. Saul's one of my favourite players. Just I just think he's incredible. He does. Just reminds me of Ramsey a little bit in sort of the yeah. way he is. But yeah, that goal for me is up there as one of the best. Yeah, and that was, I think it was that same, I think in the second leg of that that round, I think that was a semi-final, maybe that was a different year, but there was a semi-final where there was, um, I think we ended up going through on away goals, but there was, um, I think we maybe drawn the first leg nil-nil, and then the away leg was 1-1 or something like that, and there was a Thomas yeah. Muller penalty, uh, which Jan Oblak saved, and that was just, I mean, I love that one so much, but that was kind of the, probably the highlight. I mean, he's, he's having probably arguably his best season yet, and um, just now, but that, that was peak all black, all of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, so obviously those, those sort of couple of memories were related to your um, your teams. Obviously, I just mentioned my sort of favourite memory, non-Arsenal being that messy goal. Uh, I'll go to Milo first. What, what do you think your favourite memory is then of a non-Atletico team? Um, yeah. To be honest, when, when I thought of this, the most emotional I felt, but obviously I had quite a short um, history to go back on, but definitely um, the 2019 Champions League run, just all of it, everything about it was just unbelievable from a neutral perspective. Like, I, I let go went out relatively early, I think. Um, and then just watching the... the I, I don't think I watched the, the, the Liverpool game, but I came out of... I, can't, I was at some event back in the day when you could do events. And I came out and I looked at my phone and I was like... I, I just, yeah, I was like, Alfie, this didn't seem real at all. I was like, this is a joke. Like, I don't get it. Um, that was pretty wild. Just all of the, and I listened to the, um, I, I don't think I watched, but I listened to the the Ajax-Tottenham game. And everyone seems to hate that one because 
people really want to see Ajax yeah. in the final. And fair enough, it wasn't a great final. But just listening to that on the radio was just unbelievable. Just like the, just the, usually it's kind of the, the noise and the chaos when that kind of thing happens. And it was just the silence. And the commentator's going, I think Lucas Moore has just scored. What's happening? <laughs> and then it just, it was so crazy. I was like, I can't believe this. And um, yeah, just the kind of the drama of that. And I think if you were a neutral starting to follow football, you would just be very disappointed from that point on, Trevor, because you thought that's football. It, football it felt scripted. The whole, yeah. That whole run felt like it was completely scripted. I mean, the semi-finals were the finals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And even the quarters, Man City, yeah. Tottenham, that one I actually watched. And yeah. the guy with Jesus goal that was offside. Like, it just felt like an absolute, like, theatre. It felt like you're watching a film of what should be happening. It was crazy. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, then I do actually have one that's just come through now. It's a really funny memory of the, the, the Barcelona PSG game, which is where we, um, we'd uh, watched the first leg. And then the second leg, um, I was with some friends at university. We were doing some... Uh, we had a lab together and so the four of us were doing some lab work kind of around a table in the university and we had a computer there kind of like for the group work and we just put the Champions League on for the last few minutes um, and we were like they're not everyone there was particularly into football but I think they were what they're three goals down in the 85th minute Barcelona and, yeah. three goals. and <laughs> again it's going to sound scripted but we were like yeah okay nothing's going to happen we should go and get food so we turned up, <laughs> left, left the library, went out and got food. And then my friend was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. So yeah, I missed that one as well. I feel like a lot of my, my, my experience has sadly not been, been watched a lot of times. But um, that, was, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that kind of um, condensed or the opposite of condensed spread out would just be the 2019 Champions League for a neutral just watching just chaos happen and when you're not kind of supporting either team you can just really I feel like it'd be a lot more kind of tense if you're supporting yeah. the team, but just kind of being being a neutral for that entire you know quarterfinal semi-final not the final but um it was just unbelievable so, yeah yeah no I think that definitely changes it obviously uh our summer being in Champions League for a few years and like I've just been watching I don't think this was the same year but I talked about in the last one the Monaco run obviously the Ajax run you can just watch it for what it is and yeah. you're not thinking oh, I hope Bayern go out so we don't get them in the next round <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all yeah. the time <laughs> but um, yeah no I think the Champions League is special I do think sometimes being in it can distract you from how good it actually is um, so that's yeah. the only benefit of us not being in it which I <laughs> just pretend I'm happy with uh, yeah so Alfie what would you say your favourite neutral memory is um, I mean I think it's hard to look past I mean even for outside for reasons, the 2018 World Cup. Um, I think especially now, considering we cannot go anywhere, <laughs> I think it was just like this kind of nationwide shared experience that whole summer, um, especially for Scottish fans, because not only did they get the joy of it being a really, really cracking World Cup in some proper nice weather, they got the satisfaction of England fans actually thinking that they were going to win it. And then losing to the first half-decent team they came up against. It's beautiful because, I mean, I, I was studying at Warwick at the time, so I lived in England, and Milo was down yeah. doing a placement. Um, so we were both kind of there in the belly of the beast. It, 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 it was 
a beautiful moment that whole Croatia game because it just really felt like everything was coming together. I mean, it was a whole summer of really obnoxious, drunk, constantly drunk England fans acting so, so snide over such little things. Who's the team that you beat 6 1? Panama. Oh. Panama. Yeah. yeah. Panama. Yeah. Panama. <laughs> I mean, didn't Jesse Ling- I think Jesse Lingard scored in that. I think yeah. John Stone's got a couple. Yeah. All your goals were corners and penalties. <laughs> <laughs> and you beat crap teams. But, I mean, I, that was just, I know it sounds so sour, but it was such a beautiful <laughs> moment, that whole Croatia game. Um, it, it, it was really nice, because obviously Scotland, if the Euros ever do go ahead, that'll be the first one in my lifetime. That we've actually been in, but it did actually feel like we were in that World Cup because <laughs> of how much I wanted all your opposition to be. In. It, it's really sad. It's really sad, but it was beautiful. <laughs> it was a really nice, such story. a weird vibe, just on the streets, just people. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed happier. Maybe it was just alcohol. I think it was just. I think it was alcohol. Yeah. It was also like probably averaging about 27, 28 degrees. Yeah. yeah. So that whole stint. Yeah. Um, so it was great just watching it in beer gardens and stuff. And it, I think, I think when you know something's going to finish, when you know that kind of the hubris of England fans painting their faces with Union Jacks and taking their shirts <laughs> off isn't going to last, you can kind of enjoy it because you know it's going to come to an end. <laughs> so I really, I really did take pleasure in that, knowing that it would, and it did, and it did. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I probably just for being awesome, but I am the, one of the most pessimistic football fans there. Like every FA Cup final we've been in, I've just not been confident. And I remember I, the whole way through, I, for, for multiple reasons, like I had work and things, I missed quite a lot of the games. I would just, I'd be like, oh, we beat Sweden. Cool. We beat Panama. Cool. And then I was on holiday uh, with some friends during the semi-final. We're watching it in like a sports bar. And I, even then, I was like, it's just, it's going to go wrong. Like, they've got the players. And then the free kick goes in. And that was the only time I actually thought, oh, we actually could. <laughs> and then it went wrong. And it was just like, and when it finished, I was like, why did I let myself in? The whole time, I genuinely thought about, like, I was just like, France are too good. If Belgium get there, they're too good. And then I let my guard down. And then Perisic just <laughs> let me have it. What a summer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the, the World Cup as well I remember that that was just a good World Cup in general I think really yeah um, yeah yeah. for me just sort of separate question I would say the 2014 World Cup would probably be above ahead of that just in terms of the whole experience taking England out of it um, I remember the 2010 but not fully fully I kind of only remember the final yeah yeah I think I'm kind of similar I, I remember all of the 2014 and all of the 2018 yeah. Kind of hard to compare. Also, I don't think the 2010 quality-wise was nearly as good. It was nice with like the Jabalani and stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't really the same quality-wise. I mean, it just the 2018 World Cup pretty much made Kylian Mbappe as well. Yeah. Off the back of that Champions League run. And I think it's always so nice to kind of have a moment in time that you can be like, that's when someone properly stepped up and took it to the next level. Mm. I don't think you really. Oh, no, actually, maybe you do in the 2010. Was that when Ozil came through? Yeah, that was his sort of... I think he moved to Real Madrid after that. Right. And then obviously yeah. to make 
he was Hamas, but yeah, that's kind of his peak. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Sorry, as well that um, I've been talking to a few people recently about Haaland, and there seems to be maybe it's just because he's at PSG, but people seem to be underrating Mbappe again and sort of yeah forgetting that he won the he's won the World Cup and yeah. he was he was key in it as well. He wasn't just there. Yeah, the numbers. Um, yeah, I'm a bit worried that he will outstay PSG is the only thing. I mean, he's kind of teasing now that he will sign a new contract. And yeah. I do think now is the time to kick on. I think the, uh, the final with PSG is a really big achievement given that no one was ever going to be Bayern with how good they were. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously not the same as winning it, but I think he's kind of done as much as he can do there. Yeah. And although Real Madrid don't have the money to buy him, and probably Liverpool don't have the money to buy him, I think if he can find a way out, he kind of needs to. Yeah. That's yeah, no, it'll be very interesting to see where he sort of ends up. Just, just to bring it back to the 2018 World Cup, I think it was slightly tainted. I think I do prefer the 2014 World Cup. I think the 2018 one was slightly um, soured by Antoine Griezmann doing Fortnite emotes. Oh, that's so, true. <laughs> I, yeah, I fully swung into full disdain for him at that point, even before he left Atletico. Just, just purely based on Fortnite emotes. If it's any consolation, I think... He was slightly more insufferable at the 2016 Euros. He was very good, yeah. But he, but he was doing the dances then as well. Yeah. But was the best player at the tournament, which kind of made it worse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So if we move on to the last question, and we we briefly spoke about this before, I think so far this is probably the question people have sort of had to think about the most. Maybe doesn't sort of come straight to mind. Um, I'll go to Alfie first. Who's the one player that you wish Liverpool had signed? And it, it could be anything. It could be realistic, unrealistic, whatever you want. I think I'm going to shoot myself in the foot and be really honest here. Um, the, the player I wanted most that has kind of been the worst call from me, <laughs> it was probably an interesting one, um, would be Jelson Martins. <laughs> because when Liverpool were lining up Mohamed Salah, it was between Salah and Martins. And I remember almost on a daily basis saying to my flatmate at the time, the one who's another big Liverpool fan, like, I am desperate for us to get Jelson Martins. He is the biggest compilation player there has ever <laughs> been. He's got, so, when he's at Sporting Lisbon, I, every single game he would burn someone and then do some kind of skill that you don't <laughs> usually see on FIFA. Yeah. It's like, I don't care if we don't win anything. This guy is so much fun. <laughs> and uh, obviously, I, it's kind of harsh to insinuate that anyone could anticipate Salah literally breaking yeah. the goal scoring record in the first season. I didn't realise we were going to get a complete goal addict. But Jelson Martins just looked like an absolute bundle of joy. I was desperate for us to sign. Salah had had a pretty good season at Roma but you know his finishing was terrible if you watch Sal even now it doesn't really look like he can play football if you if you told someone to watch him when he's off his game and told them that he was pretty much the second best winger in the world I'm not really sure they would believe you um, but no Jelson Martins I was I was passionate about the guy and now look at him I think I absolutely he forgot he played for Atletico Madrid. Yeah, I totally yeah. That. he left totally Monaco recently. recently, right? I think he is doing quite well where he is. I thought it was Monaco, but he left. Let me check. Let me check right now. No, I was surprised then. I thought you were going to say someone who 
was sort of highly touted and then just flopped. Maybe yeah. like not him, but maybe yeah. like Alexis Sanchez, who then was awful at Man U. But you just went for someone who's completely, I guess, average uh, sort of in terms yeah. of yeah. output. Sanchez, Sanchez was on my shortlist actually because when we lost Suarez, oh uh, yeah, that we just we we definitely could have as well that we should have made it a clause that you know you can only have first dibs on Suarez, whatever, if Sanchez is part of the deal. And I don't really know why he would have been averse to that. I think we were. In about the same place as you. Obviously, we yeah. just had an amazing season, but if you're being totally objective, we're similar quality of teams. Um, yeah. I think we could have pushed for him, and we obviously didn't, and it went very, very wrong, and we got Valtelli and Lambert instead. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I would really forgive the board for that. It seemed like a really easy signing that was right in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, it's an interesting one. I did not expect at any point, <laughs> even if we did a thousand podcasts, I did not expect any <laughs> Martins. But here we are on the second one, so it's interesting. Uh, Milo, who, who would your shout be? Well, to be honest, yeah, I like Madrid's transfer business. I I think I've hated every single one of their signings, I think ever, maybe. <laughs> um, I, you think go through the kind of signings that made sense. Well, like since 2014, um, using that kind of benchmark. Um, apart from Antoine Griezmann, he was good at the time, turned went wrong. Um, you just think like all the big signings, like Jarlson Martins, like Tom Alomar, who is, to be fair, a gang bear now. Um, and then like they always do stuff like sign Felipe, the centre-back, who's like 33, and they're like, why have you done that? Um, but then they, a lot of times it turns out well. I was very against signing Luis Suarez because he was you know, late 30s and just, yeah. like, I, I kind of want us to push on more. But um, that's turned out very well. The signing of Joao Felix was like, again, why are you spend 100 plus million euros on this person? That's turned out very well because they had the money, I guess. Um, so I, I've been regularly surprised by the signings, even though every single time they sign someone, I kind of hate it and wish they'd sign something different. But um, in terms of thinking of meshing between like not super realistic, but what I would want to happen and what Diego Simeone would want to happen. Um, I absolutely um, wanted, I, I, hope, I wish we had signed this person and I would absolutely love nothing more. Even if we got relegated, then signing this person and that is Casemiro. I would absolutely love it if he turns 31 and is like, my contract's expired, although I think he's signed for quite a while. Or he's like, we we've been we've been knocked out Champions League too many times. I want to switch clubs and just stab Real Madrid in the back. I would be oh, Simeone, who would want that more than Simeone? There, I, I I want to say I haven't. It's not like I watched Diego Simeone play football, but they are pretty similar characters. Yeah, I just the memory I have of Casemiro is pure almost pure hatred. Like I say for just for Real Madrid, but especially Casemiro. The 2016 Champions League final, which was the the second one we lost. Um, Diego Simeone said but if someone asked him before the game who do you think is the bigger threat like Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo and mm. he said the most important player in the game would be Casemiro <laughs> and he was absolutely dead right because because what what happened is Atletico Madrid set up and parked the bus before the game mm. would start they were like right you're going to stand on the edge of the you know edge of the box and not move and just wait for him to come to us and then Real Madrid did the same thing they are like oh go on then you can have the ball, do with it. And I've never seen a grown man like Gabby standing on the halfway line with the ball like, I've never been, what do I do? I've never been here before. 
and play a pass into the final third. I don't know what's going on. And then so they just kind of muck about. And Augusto Fernandez, who for some reason started, played um, in the midfield. And the pair of them just got absolutely bullied by Casemiro, just flying around, taking the ball off them. They fouled him about a thousand times. He got away with some lovely fouls. Gabby didn't. It was just an absolute masterclass from him. And I just was just bubbling with hatred at his little face. Um, and I would just love nothing more than to, to sign, like I said, like an older player, not an not a, not a intelligent, you know, signing for the future, just to mm-hmm. stab someone in the back. Just take, just take him off Real Madrid like we did with Marcus Llorente and have Marcus Llorente up top, absolute legend, and Casemiro <laughs> in the middle. I, I think, yeah, like I said, we have to be relegated. As long as we just got got a nil-nil draw against Real Madrid, yeah. sports, that would be unbelievable. Just watching them in an Atlético Madrid shirt would be my absolute dream. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think um, obviously I would have liked to. I would like him to be an Atlético Madrid player. I don't think at the mm-hmm. time I was like we should sign this person because I don't yeah. think I knew very much about him. I don't. I don't know if a lot of kind of um, fairly casual fans like me would knew a lot about him when he signed. Um, but yeah, he's he's the, he's when I look around at other players around the leagues. Um, to be fair, we have a pretty pretty good squad at the moment. Um, even though Suarez is getting pretty old, so I mean another striker is is probably the main thing we would want, and maybe cover for Kieran Trippier because um Rosalico is kind of starting again, which is not necessarily what you want because I think he has yeah. a lot of um, But yeah, so so but if you look at the rest of the team, like Renan Lodi is a good fullback. He doesn't get a game. There's a rotation of four centre-backs who are just, like, always going in there, like Savage, Jimenez, Felipe. Um, there's just loads of good centre-backs. Midfield has got Koke and Sal for the foreseeable future. Um, Marcus Marcus Renan is just playing wherever he wants. Um, so yeah, striker is probably the only place we need to sign someone. But um, looking outside of need, uh, yeah, looking around at any club around Europe, any player, I would just, I would love it if Casemiro played for us. Yeah. But I kind of feel like... I kind of feel like either he would really love that or he would want nothing. Yeah. Yeah. If I was um, Simeone. Yeah. yeah. Just out of interest then, Alfie, do you have a signing purely on the basis of stabbing another team in the back? <laughs> Someone that you just hate? Is there anyone you would want Liverpool to sign in that mould? Um, I'm a big fan of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but that's mostly just because he's incredibly handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think actually that's that's probably an example because that is one that is never going to happen. Um, not least because we're never going to play a real striker. But I mean, it'd be an absolutely fantastic option to have. Given, I just don't really understand because all our game is built around crossing the ball to people who are about five foot nine. Um, and all of a sudden, we're surprised it doesn't work when anyone above that height is injured. Uh, so someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, would really thrive. I mean, we see how well he does with literally just Luca Dina as the only creator. Sometimes Hannah is always fit. So having Trent and Robertson either side of him would, would be a pretty decent combination. So I, I guess if I was going to go for a serious one now, that would hurt Everton fans as much as it would delight me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good shot. And like you say, he'd be a good he wouldn't just sort of be doing it just to stop in the back. I think that'd be a great signing as well. Um yeah, so I think that's that's all for that section. Um we will be doing the debate next week uh with whoever gets her one and hopefully maybe in a few or in like a in a year or so if we're still doing the podcast, you guys could come on and see if yours have changed. Who knows? Yeah, thank you very much. That was really good. Thanks for having me.